Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Chat McLean, and today my guest is Kelvin Giles. His topic will be all about athlete and strength and conditioning coaches' development pathways. Kelvin has worked in the industry for nearly 50 years in a range of high-performance environments from athletics, rugby league, and rugby union. Highlights from today's episode, we discuss Kelvin's four key pillars for an effective athlete development program, the importance of knowing your athlete and the high-performance environment, Kelvin's list of world-class coaches and what a strength and conditioning coach can learn from them, how to create a learning environment and influence behavior, and the importance of human element of coaching in elite sport. Before we start this episode, to improve your strength and power and gain a competitive edge this preseason, make sure to hire one of our Prepare Like a Pro coaches and join our individualized coaching package. For more information, click the link in our show notes. Let's get into today's episode with Kelvin Giles. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Kelvin. Thanks for jumping on, mate. That's all right, Jack. No, it's good to talk to you. It is. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into, into the life of, of Kelvin. But take us to the very beginning, mate. At what age did you discover you had a passion for high-performance sport? When you get to my age, you've got to see if you hope and pray you can remember back that far. Look, I, I was a, a typical high school young man who wanted to play soccer in the UK. That's all I wanted to do. I wasn't a very good student. Finished up, for, and I don't know how, becoming a PE teacher. So I joined one of the specialist PE colleges in the UK, Maidley College, in, in 1965. And for the next three years, I learned how to be a teacher. And it's a bit different nowadays to how we, we learned how to teach in those days. We spent three years doing that apprenticeship of, of how to teach and practicing, practicing that teaching in a controlled environment and then learning more and then more practice of the teaching until after three years, they let us loose on the population. So I was a PE teacher, and, and I had a huge love of athletics at the time, and that was brought about by the people that, that taught me at, at college. Ian Ward was a, a huge influence on, on, on me, and then Wolf Pace and other of the national coaches in the UK. And it was at that point when I was a PE teacher that I knew I wanted to coach. That's all I wanted to do. And so from then on, in, in the late 60s, I was then embarking upon following the, the mentorship of the people around me. I'd said to them, I want to be a national coach for my country. How do I go about it? And they explained the, a bit of the journey, and off I went. And I gave it the best shot I could, and I was really lucky. I finished up getting the job that I'd always wanted, and that was to be a national coach for my country in, in track and field athletics. That's where it all started. Uh, yeah. And, and from there, I then after my first few mistakes came in of the decisions I made from then on. I found myself then in, in early '81 as the, the the head track and field coach at the Institute of Sport in Canberra. Big biggest mistake of my life. I mean, I should still have been in an apprenticeship at that time. But the grass is greener. You think you can do a job, and I got there. I did four years at the institute, and and I thought me and the athletes got on really well. You know, we we, we created I don't know seven athletes. Seven Australian records, sixth places in Olympic Games, Commonwealth medalists, and all the rest of it in those four years. But I didn't get on well with the administration. That's my own fault. Uh, from there, I've been in Canberra then. I then came across and met some of the Canberra Raiders, and I started working with them as a just a part-time helper, really, while I was coaching and coaching athletics. And I got to know them, and, and they were a great group of blokes. And I, I finished up doing some work with the Raiders and then taking on uh, and working with Sean McRae and looking after their preparation for the for the NRL games uh, or the the ARL games at the time, and 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 met Wayne Bennett for the first time in 1987, and and then we went on and stayed with the Raiders too until they won in 1989, and then Wayne took me up to brought me up here to Brisbane, and I was six years with the the Brisbane Broncos then. All the time I would I'd moved into professional football. I was still coaching my athletes, my track and field athletes, in my spare time. It yeah, was wow. the, 
generally it was the glue that glued me together. And so it went on from there. I finished up going back to London and looking after the London Broncos in charge of, they were part of the, of the Brisbane Broncos set up, uh, came back to Australia, was invited to be the head of strength and conditioning at the Queensland Academy of Sport and, uh, and met some incredible people there. Got headhunted to go to the ARU to help with their elite player development. Oh, and it goes on and on and on like that. So, so here we are. I did another eight years in the UK over two Olympic cycles with a whole range of sports and individuals. That's what I've been doing. That, that, that's, that, that in a nutshell is, is all the experiences I've had, all mm. the mistakes I've made and all the things I've learned over the last, it's over 50-odd years now. So, and here I am now speaking with you. Yeah, very good. And for, for the coaches listening in, a passion of yours you mentioned off the air is, is development both with athletes and coaches. So for the coaches listening in that are, you know, they've, they've made that shift from maybe they have been a teacher or they've been a personal trainer and they want to work in sport, like when you were a PE teacher, you, you made that shift, you wanted to be at a national level coach. What are some tips that you'd recommend for getting your first contract and getting that foot in the door in elite sport? There'll never be just one answer. The, the answer is going to be you're going to have to keep on trying. And, and you, you, you've got to, I think you've got to make sure you choose to have a central core of values that you've got that, that everything else revolves around. The bottom line is you've got to be a really good teacher. The whole thing is about creating a learning environment for these, these athletes in front of you, to give them the best learning environment through which they can progress to whatever heights they've got to get to. So you've got to be able to be good enough to keep creating the learning environment. This is not just about the reps and the sets and the exercises. It, it goes far more than that. It's, it's watching a young person in front of you, accept a challenge that you give them, and then having a look at how they adapt to that. And then what's your very next decision you've got to make to make that that progression a little bit harder or to make it a little bit easier, to present the puzzle in a different way, to use different words, to slow things down, to speed things up, to choose a different activity. All these things become the toolbox of the, of the teacher, the toolbox of the coach. And so, so my advice is always to have that as the central pillar of everything that you do. And then you can drill each one of those down into the thing, technical, tactical, physical, and behavioral. Those are the four pillars that you'll work on. If you can stay always around that and around the learning of that, it, it doesn't matter what sport you're in, what part of your career you're in, that's the bit you've got to get right all the time. Love that. What an answer straight off the tongue like that. Oh, that was amazing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was impressive. And, and something that uh, stood out to me early on in your, you, you spent three years, as you mentioned, developing your, your teaching, and that was part of the curriculum in those days. But for the coaches listening in, you mentioned how important persistence is. So it's not going to be something that, you know, that will happen overnight. It, you know, it took you three years to build, to build that teaching ability, and then you transferred it into elite sport. For those that aren't teachers and haven't got that background, what would be some tips that you would recommend in terms of developing those? Is it reading books, podcasts, speak, catching up with teachers? Oh, it's, it's, all, it's all of that. It's all of that. Now, the, 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 the science-y type word is pedagogy. That's the, 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 those are the, 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 the skills of, of teaching, of, of creating the learning environment. Now, let's be frank. This is why I'm, I'm always falling out with the administration at the end of the day. Coach education nowadays is just nearly not fit for purpose. It, it, it's become a, a, an income stream for national governing bodies, and it's, mm. it's get as many through as we can. And every time I ask a national governing body how effective their coach education scheme is, they tell me how many certificates they've given out. And, and that's, that, that's got nothing to do with how effective they are as coaches. Mm. To become a coach, you've the first thing is to accept you've got to have an apprenticeship and you'll make mistakes and you'll get your nose bloodied along the way and you've got to keep on turning up even when life is really, really difficult. So it'll be a test of your patience, a test of your perseverance. And if you just think you can go and do your two, two weekend courses for $350 and walk out and think you can coach, no. Your education starts the minute you walk out of, of the, with the certificate. The minute they give you the certificate, now you can say, what, well, now I can start. At least I understand a bit of the words and the language going on. Now who do I turn to? Go and find the best teachers and coaches out there. 
go and work, go and put the human element above the certification. Find a coach that is willing out there. I don't care what sport it is. You could, if you're in football codes, you could go to swimming. You could go to track and field. You could, wherever you go, you go to tennis. You could go to netball. If you can find the coaches that are, have been successful all day, every day, every decade, then they're doing something right. And you'll notice they've got the human element right. It isn't just the reps and the sets and the, and the progression and the, and the intensities and all that stuff. Yeah, they're important. It's the ability to influence that young, that young, medium, old person in front of you to be better. That's where you'll learn and you'll watch them overcome their problems. You'll watch them set the, the learning environment up. You'll watch them change their, their mind halfway through. You'll watch them react to what the athlete does in front of them, not react to what the training program was. That's what I say nowadays. So th that young coach that you're mentioning there that's first going into these, taking their first faltering steps into the sport, write your training programs in pencil. Why? Because in 10 minutes of you starting something that you've prepared for, the athlete's response will make you go in another direction. You mm -hmm. react to the athlete's response. You don't react to what you've written on paper. And the way to do that is to go and get to these old grizzly coaches have kept on doing it all the time and watch them. Lectures and going into things like this, and they're, they're fine, they're all right, but there's nothing better than being in a hands-on situation. I, when I was coaching way back in my first few years, and I'd got some very, very good javelin throwers in the UK, and, and I'd got a two or three into the international team, and I still I certainly wasn't sure of myself, and I called upon the best javelin coach in the UK, and I said, look, I'm struggling. Could you come and – can I come and watch you? And he said, can I come and watch you? I'm going to travel through your way soon. So the great Will Pace turned up at my training session. <laughs> Imagine what that was like. Yeah. But, but it, I just had to be the best I could. And then it, it was the way he handled me, the way he, 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 he mentored me, the way he spoke to me, he gave me the confidence, and then he gave me the little nuances. Maybe I could have stood over there. Maybe I could have intervened with this. Maybe you could have tried that word. Maybe you could have reversed it and done it this way. And I started building up all these other coaching options that, were in, that I hadn't got in my toolbox, and I learned that way. And, I, and then I, I'd, I'd travel to just about every coach I could watch, and I'd watch them, not just watching them, it's listening to them. What are they saying? When are they saying it? it you know, again, going back to helping this coach, this this make-believe coach you're talking about who's just starting there, it's going to be that the, the best thing you can do is learn how to feed back to the athletes. The athletes, you give them a challenge, they have a go, they have another go, and they will have a degree of success or failure in front of you. What do you say next? When do you say it? How do you say it? What do you say? The feedback that you give to the, the athlete in front of you is the most critical thing. That's what I keep on learning I learned more last week as well when I was watching another coach in action. I'd seen this, I'd seen the, the fault a hundred times, a thousand times. And then he came up with a different way of, of talking to the, the athlete about it. And I went, wow, I've never tried that. That's a mm. much better idea than I've learned. So to be, this is why I argue nowadays that certification of coaches and their coach education is nothing compared with mentorship yeah. as part of a coaching journey. And, and as a nation like Australia has got every chance now, if it wants to, to develop a, a mentorship program. I learned the best when I had a human being in front of me doing some good stuff. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I rambled then. Oh, sorry. No, that's, it's, it's a good segue for the next one. Going, going back to your career journey during those development days, who were some strong influences, mentors, if you like, uh, that helped shape your career? Well, those early days for me were – we're in track and field athletics. So it was Will Pace, it was Ian Ward. It was, look, I can say all these names and you'll have no idea who they are. <laughs> My first boss when I was national coach was Frank Dick. He became the director of performance for British athletics through the, the golden years of the 80s. And, and he was a mentor of mine, and we are still working together nowadays, sort of, sort of 50 years later. So he was a great influence. But you, you know, the, the greatest influences are 
are my fellow coaches as well. You're going to have to forgive me on this, but if you're asking me if I can give any advice to young coaches, let me throw some names at you. And if it goes on a little bit too long, I'm sorry, but these are really important people. If I take, and I'll go a bit of a list because I don't want to miss anybody, Lachlan Penfold, Scott Dickinson, Suki Hobson, Anthony Georgie, Dean Benton, Andrew Lullum, Chris Caviglio, Chris Caviglio, Mark McCain, Glenn Workman, Phil Morland, Michael Davey, Michael Dalgleish, Paul Devlin, Jeremy Hickmans, Dan Baker, Johnny Mitchell, Johnny Pryor, Jason Weber, Charlie Higgins. Sorry for the list. They are practicing as we speak. They are working as we speak across the world. They are world leaders. And I knew them when they were 21 years of age and 22 years of age and even younger than that. And I've watched them and I've worked with them and I've been, and I'm influenced by them today. These are the best practitioners that this country has ever seen, I think. Now, there's going to be plenty more out there that I haven't met. But as a young coach, if you can ever get any of these names written down and go and, and look on social media and find out who they are and where they are and you get in touch with them, the one thing about every one of those people on that list is they have the humility to share. Every single one of them. And there's some heavy hitters on here. Let's not forget it. There's some heavy hitters. I mean, every one of these has won championships, gold medals, in also at world-class level. Premiership winning football team performances here in rugby union, in rugby league, and in soccer. And it goes on like that. This is the best of the best. So. Advice to young people, and it worked for me, is to go and find these brilliant people. Some of them are working in North America, some are down the Gold Coast, some are in Britain, they're all over this country. And every single day they are doing brilliant things. And, and And I will say again, the humility to share is what came out from all of these people. This You ask me where I get influenced by. I'm influenced by these people. Today, I'm a 75-year-old idiot now, and I've got these people to turn to. The, the, the network that you build of these incredible human beings in your sport, this is, this is coach education. These are the people for coach education. I mean, don't start calling them tomorrow because they're too busy trying to win championships at the moment. <laughs> well, that, that actually... Seriously, this is the yeah. best of the best. Yeah, it's, it's there's some top names there. And for those listening that might be driving, listening to the podcast, I will put down people mentioned, and I'll, I've noted down the time that Kelvin noted and, down right, remember, and that's just the, the, the Australian influence, that there's a North American influence and there's a, a European influence as well, that some of the people that – so this is, by me wanting to learn, I learn more from other people than I do from the books and the podcasts and the lectures and the, and the certification programs and and all that. This is all about human relationships. You and the athletes in front of you, and then you and your fellow colleagues out there. You're, you're all you've got. And I have been, that list I've given you there means I'm the luckiest bloke on the planet. And you mentioned like the colleagues that you work with, how, how invaluable that is for development. So for anyone that's working in a program with anyone on that list, clearly make the most of it because it's like you said, they're world class. For those listening in, that aren't quite you know, in that position yet, how, how can they go about being respectful with those people's time? Is it sharing in terms of, you know, is it a, a, a paid mentorship role? Like what do you think is the, for those, for the, for the men, you know, mentorees, but also for the mentors, what's a fair yeah, that's situation? A, it's an interesting the one how this, uh, I met each one of these, I go right, I go back, oh, how many years now? When Lachlan Penfold knocked on my door, when I, I just joined the Broncos, I'd just come to, to Queensland, and, and off we went on that journey to try and get the Broncos to, 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 to win stuff. It took us a couple of years before we, we, could, we could get it all in one op- operation that was working. And, and I met this, this young strength and conditioning coach at the time, and he was coaching a track and field athlete, and he, he came up and asked me some questions. And, 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 and it, he said to me, I want to be the best – Strength and conditioning coach in the world. I went, oh, all right. And I wish I, I wish I could be. I was a track and I was a track and field coach that was suddenly found himself in football, and I had to learn the language and and how to apply things in a different way. And it was a it was a task and a half that was. And there was this young bloke doing it. Well, what's he done? 
He's done exactly what I said. He's met as many people as possible. He's learned as many things as possible all the way through. And now he's the best in the world. End of story. To join the rest of the crew on that list. Whether it's done, I don't think any of the crew I've said on there will set themselves up right now as a, as, as a mentor to anybody else. But if you give them a call or you find a way, a, a, a visit, it's got to start somewhere. Look, Australia, like any, any organisation, any country, needs to move towards an official mentorship program as being part of their coach development. And it doesn't exist. So I, I don't have the answer. I was bold enough to get on the phone. Or one, well, we, back in those days, didn't have many phones around. I'd write a letter to these people. Can I come and see you? I'd like to be able to visit you. And then I'd get on a train and I'd drive up to Leeds. I'd go up to Leeds and I'd meet one. I'd watch Wolf Pace coach javelin throwers or 800-meter runners or long jumpers. And I, I'd, I'd watch him. And then I just parroted what he did. You know, I'd get back on the train and come back again. And then I'd, and his words would come out in my next session. And then I'd, I'd go and visit somebody else. And back in those days, there was nobody asking for any money for it. We, we just started sharing. So I maybe it's completely out of touch now in answering your question on whether, how do you go about this? If an internship is offered somewhere, I've even got doubts about that because I see internships as being an abuse of young people in many mm. occasions. Mm-hmm. They just get people to come in and do all the hard work for them and, and never give them very much time and, and really abuse the, 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 the privilege of having young potential coaches come in. But in good mentorship areas, and I saw that with the Leicester Tigers in the UK and I've seen it in other areas in Australia where they, they, they're careful about the young people they bring in. You've got to work hard as an intern and, and sometimes for no pay. I guess, I'm sorry, I jump around a lot. Sorry, but if you're going to do an apprenticeship, you don't have to get paid for it. I didn't get paid money for my coaching for 12 years. It was a hobby. I, I, got, my, I got my income from as, as a PE teacher and then my hobby was coaching. So I'd finished my teaching and I would run my after-school clubs. Then I'd get in the car and I'd drive to Birchfield Harriers Athletics Club there, and I was an assistant coach there. And I just started coaching them through till seven or eight o'clock at night. And I did that four nights a week. And it, the, so the last part, the last four hours of my day were all voluntary. Uh, and mm. and I'm not sure. If, if I'm saying the right thing now, because I can't see man, sometimes many people don't want to say, I don't want to do it for nothing. You need to pay me. You don't join this career as a general. You don't join the army as a general. You better start working up from a private. Yeah. So if you, yeah. can, if you can afford the time and if you've, got the, if you've got the tenacity and the forbearance to really want to do this, you don't have to get paid for it. You're gonna, you'll sacrifice something to learn. Now, whether that's too old a fashioned a, a statement to make, sacrifice, I don't know. So I don't think there's one answer out there on how you go and meet these people. You, you just got to try it and see how you go. But it's yeah. all about the human element. It's not about certification. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's uh, well said. Uh, and it is a tricky topic and there's probably no one answer, like you said. Um, no, but no. at the end just of the like, day. Just like there's no one answer to anything we do, technically, tactically, physically. There's never one answer of achieving the the performance outcome you want never has been, never will be. And from a highlights point of view, what are some highlights that you look back on fondly? There must be a few that, but what are the ones that stick in front of mind? Oh, well, look, this, I'm not being facetious now, but I put something up on Facebook the other day and it was just a little video, a moment take of it was a Scottish Athletics Championships under 15 and it was the end of the 1500 metres. And it's just a clip of this this fifteen-year-old girl crossing the line, and she's won it. If ever you could find out, I mean, I'm on I'm on Facebook, and I think I've just joined whatever I've got on there, and, and I think I put it on LinkedIn as well. Look at this young lady's face; she'd be a fourteen-year-old, and there's the reason why you do it. Mm. Every time an athlete improves, whether that's a season's best, a personal best, or a, or a training best or a competition, but every time they get better is a highlight. It, 
I'll tell you what, once you start going through your coaching life, looking at that is where you get your rewards from and not your gold medals and all that, that might come, it might not. But the highlights to me has been every personal best, every single personal best. And it's no bad way of looking at it because it means that you're going to have these joys arriving on your doorstep several times a day and even several times a week. It's not that you've got to wait every four years for the Olympic things to come along. The mountain to climb is the mountain that you've just... When you present the athletes with a, a physical puzzle to solve, which is what coaching is, and they solve it right in front of you, there's your highlight. So, and that was a bit it's warm and fuzzy answering that. Like, four highlight. Well, let, let's go back to athletics. I was, I've been lucky enough to coach 14 Olympians and eight Olympic finalists. Uh, th- that's enough. I mean, that was enough. But I, I, every single time I, I can remember, if, you know, Olympic semifinals or qualifying rounds or even the Olympic finals themselves, being up in the stand with my knees knocking and my knees shaking, nearly wetting myself. It's a tough old place to be because this is the test of everything you've done for the last four years. This, this is, it's quality controlled at its best. They're either going to do a personal best. The, the whole point of an Olympic final is to do a personal best performance. If the medal comes, it doesn't matter. And I, and I was lucky, I think, up to about 90% of the time. Every time we turned up to the big dance, we got the personal best performance. So uh, there's, there's some wonderful highlights there. Uh, I've been lucky to cut seven Australian record holders. Nothing better than when an Australian record set, because nobody else has done it. That's a, them are nice days too. Yeah. The, the football ones, I, I, been, I did 13 years as a practitioner, hands-on inside rugby league, and I reached seven grand finals. And 1989 was, was fantastic. Should never have won it. Nobody expected to, the rallies to do it against the great Balmain. And, and to win it with one minute to go, <laughs> well, well to, 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 to equalise with one minute to go meant that this is, I've always viewed it this way, and I'll speak to the players nowadays what it was like, that they, they just never blinked. It, in most cases in rugby league, I've always said, and I'll keep on saying it now, for 60 minutes, both teams are, should be fairly equal in terms of their abilities and, what, and their, their fitness and all that kind of stuff. And then whoever can grasp the nettle for the next 20 minutes and go beyond that is the key. And that's the way we used to prepare them. And just go back and look at that 1989 grand final. And I remember some of the students, and look at Steve Jackson's winning try, which should have been stopped 20 metres from the line. His tenacity, his ability to keep on moving forward under the most terrible duress is remarkable. But I, I, I remember some dragging sleds inside training with them and sticking stuff on the sleds that it couldn't even move it. And we, we'd have challenges in the Raiders. And if they could achieve the challenge, I'd give them what was called a nightmare T-shirt. If they went beyond the call of duty and did something nearly impossible, I'd give them a T-shirt with nightmare on it because they'd done so. And once we set up that kind of response to adversity and you see it come out in the grand final, yeah, that, that's got to be a highlight. Next grand final was the 1990 grand final for the Brisbane Broncos reserve grade. Impossible to win, that was. And look, reserve grade means nothing to people. It means a lot to me all these 30, 40 years later. We should never have won that. We're up against the best team. The, the best outfit going was the Canberra Raiders at that time. And this is reserve grade Brisbane Broncos. And, and seriously, it was like the sum. It was, we were in that much trouble all the way through. And, and we hung on to win it. And it was the bravest thing I've ever seen. So I'll put that as a highlight to come second. And then I guess the Broncos grand final of 93, that was done the hard way. A month out from that final, we were in a bit of trouble. We we really were. I won't mention the very first one they won of 1992 because, well, nothing could stop us. It was, was, no, they were unstoppable. So that, Mm. yeah, once you get to that, but it's when they've overcome, when it's been harder for them to do, I've always, I've always appreciated those times when it was nearly impossible to, to do the job and you go and do it. That, that, those are highlights that are far better than me than the time like in the 92 grand final when it was just 
we just had to turn up basically because nothing was nothing could stop them then. So n- nothing better than them to work out for it. Sorry, I, I rambled again. Hey there, we're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet from our interview with Dan Baker. What are some key focuses with developing athletes? Of yeah. yours? What, uh, what are your pillars? So? A little bit different now. Uh, kids back then all moved pretty well. <laughs> it's like no one couldn't do a full squat. <laughs> everyone could do a full squat without even talking about it. Everyone had good mobility and could touch their toes to the floor, uh, hands to the floor, hamstring-wise. So, uh, But now you've got to concentrate on movement first. Do they move well uh, in multi-planar situations? Yep. And then once we've got them moving well, hopefully by age 10, then we can start loading up with body weight exercises and soft resistance. Soft resistance, I mean, is up. Not, not barbell weights, using sandbags and medicine balls and bands. And I'm not a big believer in using barbells until after they finish their peak high velocity growth spurts. Because uh, their, their technique's going to change anyhow when they go through these growth spurts. And they're really starting barbells. And sometimes you don't know they hit peak high velocity until three or six months after they're in it. And you see them struggling with technique like baby giraffe being born. So I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. believer in, in, in waiting until after they've definitely finished it. And you can overload them with, you know, uh, goblet squats with sandbags and things like that. To hear more from Dan, make sure to scroll to episode 23 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to the rest of the episode with Kelvin Giles. Hope you enjoy and thanks for listening. These daily challenges and the nightmare t-shirt, I love that concept in terms of yeah, building that high performance yeah, we, in that uh, last uh, 20 minutes. I, was ta- I forget I was talking to. We've got a sled, and for all you aficionados out there to do with uh, acceleration and deceleration, the use of sleds and the percentages you're supposed to have on there to body weight, I'm sorry, I broke all the rules. <laughs> we we put as much weight on this sled as we could, and we, then we'd put Steve Jackson in the harness and say, all right, make, make it move. I don't care how far it goes. Can you make it move? Then I sat Mel Meninga on it. This thing wasn't going anywhere. And when all the players get around you and they start shouting at you to encourage him and suddenly we've drawn them together as a group and they're watching one bloke trying to do something impossible and then it moved a centimetre and then it moved two centimetres and then it moved three centimetres and suddenly all the hope started to rise and the noise started to go up. And it made Steve try even harder until he could take a step. And then he tried one more step. And I'm thinking, we're winning. And all his mates saw that happen as well. So for all, for, it, it's crazy at times, I guess. But, and, and all the scientists are now probably calling into you saying that I broke every scientific rule in the book about acceleration and deceleration. No, no. We beat Balmain because we were... We could overcome adversity, and Balmain mm. couldn't. And we, we've overcome the Raiders in 1990 because we could overcome adversity. They couldn't. This, You know when I mentioned technical, tactical, physical, and behavioral? The behavioral parts are manipulating this human being in front of you to show stoicism, to show fortitude, to show how they overcome adversity. Not to talk about it, but to do it. And I've always felt proud of every athlete I've worked with. I, was, I had some netball players in front of me the other day, and I, I put some, some pictures of these five athletes I'd worked with in the past, female athletes, and everyone today is my hero. They did stuff that was beyond belief. And I pointed out to these modern-day netball players what these five female athletes said, what they'd had to overcome and how tough they were. And that's that, that's that pillar of the behavioral pillar that's part of your coaching delivery. Yeah. Technical, tactical, physical. Yeah, we've reps and sets. Where's your reps and sets for attitude, commitment, and discipline, and fortitude, and perseverance, and persistence, and stoicism? Where's your reps and sets for that? Because that's what you're going to take into the arena. That's what's going to win it to you in the arena. So, you asked me the highlights. Every time one of my crew did something like that was a highlight, and there were millions of them. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And you mentioned how important it is for a coach to be fluid with the plan and, and you know, write it in pencil. 
Yeah. How, how often would you be reading the room, the behavior, and notice you're going to have to throw in one of these challenges or you're going to have to shake it up a little bit and you'll have some up your um, sleeve? More times than you think, but your reaction is not just big and heavy. They're very subtle as well. So when they arrive at the training session and, you know, you've got to arrive 20 minutes before, not five minutes before, because the, you, you, we want to the, the session actually starts, you don't tell them that, 20 minutes before because – I need to meet them and greet them and say, how are you doing? How are you? How's your day? Sleeping all right? Eating all right? Anything that, any aches and pains? How's the, how's the missus? How's the hobby? And, and now, now I'm, I'm going to, from their feedback, I'm going to get a sense of where they are. Mm. Nine times out of ten, right as rain. But the times they're not, a little bell ring. So when the warm-up starts... Then I start looking for it just in case. I, I listen a lot, particularly when with my track athletes, uh, as they come and they're doing the, all their warm-up activities uh, in front of me, I'm going to get a sense of what I'm hearing in terms of contact on the floor or, and I'm going to get a picture of how, how they look. Does this look awkward? Is this not right? And the one that rung my bell, warning bell, when they said, oh, you had a difficult night's sleep, oh, it's that aches and pain is still there. I'm going to pay a bit more attention to that. So already, before we get into the session, I'm beginning to go, I'm going to watch this one. Let, let's say it was a, a high speed, a high running mechanics session, max velocity, the most dangerous bugger on the planet, max mm. velocity. Well, if I get any of these warning signals, gee, I'm going to be very careful about what I do next. I really am. Max velocity is, I said this once to Dean Benton, Max, anything is bloody dangerous. And he said, you chicken. <laughs> no, no. What I'm trying to say is you better be mechanically resilient to take on some of this training. Now, you go max anything, you need to be mechanically robust or mechanically resilient, let alone metabolically, but mechanically. And, and this is the, the whole key about having a movement journey for everybody. So, so that was the that, – that's that, that picture of, of what, what do you, information do you try and get to then make a better decision about training. And sometimes after then you watch training. Now, some of these bells might not ring until a little bit later in the session. So my, I've always got to have a place to go forward to if the, if the dose is just too easy. We're not even challenging them if it is the mm. time to challenge. Or yep. more importantly, how do I back this off? How do, I, how do I regress this to make it a little bit safer? And that tells you then as a coach what you need in your toolbox You've got a certain drill or exercise that you're on. How do I make it easier? How do I turn it up and how do I turn it down? Because I better be ready to do that. that make any sense then? Absolutely. It's great. Yeah. There's gems popping out left, right and center. They're hard to write them all down. Good. You'll have to listen to this one a few times, I reckon, the listeners. But what about on the flip side, challenges that have really stretched you over your professional journey and, and what did you learn from them? Oh, that, that one I mentioned earlier, you know, I've been finally been a national coach for three years with the British team in Europe, still serving my apprenticeship. But for some reason, somebody called me about going to take on the, the job of the Institute of Sport in Canberra. Of course, my ego told me I was great. I knew what I was doing. I was a national coach and I could go anywhere and do all this stuff. Of course, it was exciting going to this new venture, new country with a whole load of athletes that, to go and climb that mountain with. Yeah. Now, way out my depth. Not so much in my coaching because my coaching was sort of okay. I still got another 20-odd, 30 years to go before I got any, any good at it. But it was, it was the, all the other things that come with it that I was completely hopeless at. And that's the, the relationship with the organization, the relationship with the bureaucracy of the sport and all those things. And I was just this, this bloke who was – so the, the – the, the, the problem is working out the steps you take in your career, you know, and is it too early? Is it too late? I don't think there's a – so that, that, that was a low light for me. It was, it was that mistake, and it was always too late to make anything uh, – to do anything about it. And then, look, it, 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 is it called karma, they call it? I, I, when I left the Institute after four years, and, you know, I was basically jobless, but my athletes then left with me. So we, we, had, we still had three or four more Australian records to go at the time and medals to get, and we, they left the Institute as well, and, and we, we just started working 
I, I went back into teaching in a high school. I could, luckily, I'd got my teaching qualification. I started working on the door as a bouncer in the nightclubs, and, and that, paid my, that paid my bills, and that allowed me to carry on coaching these three Australian record holders for the next, th- through 1985 World Cup, 1986 Commonwealth Games, and, and that's what I did. And then just at that point, then the football took over. So while one door shut on me, um, yeah. I was lucky enough that another door opened. So, so that, there's, there's good things and bad things are going in your life. I've had me nose bloodied along the way all the time. You just got to fall down seven times and get up eight, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And, and for the for the athletes listening in, what are some sort of key pillars do you think for for junior athletic development? We've touched on the coaches side of things, but yeah, for athletes or parents of athletes that might oh, be parents parents of athletes will just just don't turn up. <laughs> just t- tell them you love watching them and watch them in silence and just be joyous that they've turned up and they've. Don't look at the don't look at the outcome. Don't look at the winning. It's not winning at all costs. Nobody remembers the twelve and fifteen year old that won the championships. That there's two. That there's a journey to high performance, mums and dads. There's a journey to high performance, but very few will go on. But there's a journey to health and well-being that you can go on for the, that your child can go on for the rest of their lives. You haven't got to have one or the other. You can have both. But it, it means that the, the, the steps that they take are, are, are this. The later they can, they can concentrate on that one sport, the better. If you can give them a multi-sport, multi-experience background for as long as possible, and I know no national governing body ever puts a system together that encourages that, they like winners at all ages. Mm. The, the national governing bodies are just crackers at this, got no idea. It's quick fixing, fast tracking. These athlete pathways, they write every 10 minutes because a new, new athlete pathway for, for Australian swimming. And at 12, we want this, 14, 16, 18. And you're going, when did you start putting the pressure on the kids at 12 years of age to be selected for certain things? And we still haven't got this right by far. So to the athletes, have, have a, a presence about you where you are concerned about outcome. You are concerned about doing things well. It's good to do things well. The main thing is you've just got to keep on trying hard to do it and be patient when it doesn't happen. Hopefully you've got a coach that is going to be patient with you. Try and spend as much time as you can working on the foundations and the fundamentals. Don't try and quick fix and fast trap them to go and do don't think about training like a pro until you are one. Just do as much as you can to have a great time and, and enough as, you, as much as you can to turn up the next time. It's a test of your perseverance because you might not like it too much at the moment. Now, you've got to go back again. You've got mates in there and, and all. So it's these other qualities, not the winning and the losing and the, the where are you ranked in the country? Wait, there's going to be plenty of time for that. Mum and dad, doesn't matter where they're ranked in the country at the moment. doesn't matter what the competition is. It, it, it's a matter of having this more holistic look. And it's easy for me to say when all around you, you've got all the adults setting up a completely different environment for you. It's about winning. Mm. It's about yeah. ranking. It's about how many, how many kids, what the championship race is coming up. We've got to play against so-and-so next week. And I get all that. That's got to go on. Here's, when you get it wrong, between work this out, let's put this back to Australian sport. In every single sport in Australia, between 13 and 14 years of age, we lose 35% of the participants. They just yeah. disappear. Now, you can have all your high-performance malarkey going on for the 2013. You can get all these executives around the trough at the moment grabbing all the, all the bits they can because they're part of the Olympics, and we're going to lose 35% of our participants. Yes, and have you asked the reason why we're losing it? I was talking to one of a guy who used to work with, Mick Hancock, and he works as the development officer for the Broncos. And, and we, we spoke about this two years ago. Why are we losing 35%? And he said, it's crap coaching. I went, whoa, it's a coaching. Of course it is. The coach is the person 
that is going to set up the environment that's going to encourage the person to come back and to stay there. And then when you start looking at, at, at how we're preparing these coaches, we're preparing these coaches for winning at all costs, winning at all ages, fast tracking, quick fixing, results, ranking. It becomes the language and the vocabulary of the developing athlete, and it's completely an utter nonsense, mm. and nobody's ever given any time to it. That's why I think I may have said to you, for every athlete pathway you want to write down, there's got to be an equivalent coaching pathway to go with it. The, the coaches from the age of 8 to 18 are unique coaches. They're different coaches. They're not the coaches of the Olympians. Those are, that's a different world altogether, that is. But we need to produce an entire generation of people that have got the ability to make the step into to the high performance level. But we lose that many along the way because we've not invested enough quality coaching down there. National governing bodies, get out of your, 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 your office. Go and watch what's happening in the under eights, nines, tens, elevens, and twelves. Go and witness 10 training sessions in a row. Then you'll see what crap is being coached. And that's exact. They're coaching exactly what you told them to coach. Mm. We need to. We we've got to restructure coach development, and it, and it's going to take all sorts of things to do it well. But nobody's paying any attention. Not anymore. Now that Brisbane have won the two thousand and thirty-two uh, games, it's all about yeah. the trinkets. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that, that, was a, that was a high horse moment. Sorry, but that's, that's a problem. Well, I said to you earlier, there's, there's 350,000 nine-year-olds in Australia. That's all you've got. You want to lose 35% of them and still want to have a good Olympic team in 2032? Where do you think your investment's got to go to? Yeah. In the high performance? No. Development. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good point. And it's something that's probably not being spoken about enough. So, yeah, thank you for raising it. But at, 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 as well with the parents as well, I think that was, I mean, being a young parent myself, I think it's, it's a good thing to be aware of how much of an impact you can Or you can will. Make, so. just, just tell them, I love watching you play. Yeah. That's all. Whether they played well, it, it doesn't even make it just a love watching you play. That's all I want to do. I just want to watch you play. You carry and join it. But you walk, I walked past the soccer field last weekend and I could hear the bellowing voices of these egotistical fathers on the sideline that was trying to coach the kids from the sideline. And I'm going, oh, it's the, poor, oh poor, the poor devil's out there. They, they were nine-year-old. And there's these, these big voices bellowing and echoing all the way through the playing fields. And it was, what they were shouting out was nonsense. Oh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Mm. We can do better than that. We can. Yeah, yeah. Do you know of other either states or countries that, that are you know making gaps towards a, a, a better system from an athlete now, development junior pathways. Now, having spent time in so many different countries in the last two decades of uh, of trying to encourage these questions to be answered, I'm not seeing it. So, uh, I, I said to you earlier about I spend my days in communication with my the people in my network, that my, my, my colleagues and and and. And I learn from them every day. And one of the topics that is keeps on going is we've got to the point saying, stop waiting for your national governing body to do this right. Go and do it right yourself. Mm. That's all you can do. We've reached the point that we can no longer trust the bureaucracy to do the right job. The bureaucracy is there to stay in the bureaucracy and be a bureaucrat. It's not anything else. They just want, they're self-serving. That's all they want. So Let's not worry about that anymore. We've spent decades trying to appeal to them to do things better. So you and the coach around the corner, get together, brainstorm it, deliver what you know has to be delivered. And then get it. you might find somebody in another country that's doing the same thing. You might get in touch with Andy Thompson in, in Florida or Steve Merland in, in Wisconsin who's dealing with some younger people and he's building them from the ground up with their movement vocabulary. And you go, oh. Steve, how, how are you doing? I'm trying this. I'll send you a video. So together at, at the on the shop floor is where we need to make the changes. If we wait for the bureaucracy to change, no. Why not? It's not going to happen in my lifetime. It might happen in yours. I doubt it. So get together as groups that, that understand what's going on and share amongst yourselves and create it. In other words, it becomes a bottom-up process. Mm. Rather than waiting for a top-down one, waiting for permission from the national governing body to do things correctly, don't, you're not going to. They don't know. 
They don't know what they don't know. Mm. Start now with you and your mates to, tomorrow night's session and say, I'm going to do this right tonight. I'm going to make sure that this is the best learning environment. This is the best fun. I'm building a movement vocabulary that will last a lifetime. That's going to be the basis of all my coaching now. And we'll get through the competition this weekend and we'll come back with a smile on their face and we're going to have progression in their movement efficiency. That's what I'm going to do for the next three or four years. Now, you're doing it. You haven't got to wait for anybody else. And you and your mates can share and, and, and get small coaching groups together and have a meet up on the phone. And, and, and you, 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 the groundswell starts from the ground up. And it will happen not in my lifetime, but it will happen in yours. Yeah, that makes it. And it's quite empowering for anyone listening in to have that mindset. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. And they can't tell you what to do. You don't want to hear what they want to tell you what to do. Get to the right people, get the, get the right knowledge, and they're out there with all your friends. And then choose one thing that's going to work and everybody try it and then share it. And it's a groundswell, it's a, it's a, a bottom up coach development process. And you own it. Far yeah. better than waiting for somebody else to, to give you a certificate that doesn't mean anything. Absolutely. M- moving into the uh, get to know Kelvin section of the podcast, mate, that's a bit of a lighter section. So these ones, do you have a favorite inspirational quote or a life motto that resonates? Oh, it's, it's come straight away. You've got to have the will to do what the opposition won't. Like uh, and there was another one I, I, I used to, we, we had a T-shirt of this at the Broncos. Let me see if I get it right. If, if I lead, follow me. If I die, Avenge me. If I retreat, kill me. And we had a, we yeah. had a T-shirt made up of the yeah. So that, those are the two. The, the yeah. first one, you, you, need, you do need the will to do difficult things. It's a strange comment to make to, to young people or anybody to say, well, if, you, if you're left with a choice and one's an easy choice and one's a hard choice, it's best to take the hard road. Seriously, the easy one, I'd ever get you there. So, so take the harder option, and you'll need the willpower to do that. And, mm. and the more you can test building your will, because everything is there trying to break you, for you whether, it's the, whether it's the world you live in, it's your relationship, it's the work you do, the whole world is going to be putting things against you. You've got to be able to overcome adversity. You need the willpower to overcome it when it's difficult. So that, I think there's some, there's some teeth in that, to be honest. Yeah, 100%. And what about pet peeves in your professional work life? What are some things that fire you up, mate, that make you angry? Sporting Athletes or colleagues? Sporting bureaucracy. Yeah. But I've learned to live with it now. I've realised that, that there's a trough of public monies out there in the millions and millions of dollars around which the bureaucrats are all sitting around the trough feeding off it. The unfortunate thing is the bureaucracy begets another bureaucracy. They live in a different world with a different language, a different behaviours, different understanding, yet we see them as part of the sporting culture. The sporting culture is the athletes and the coaches. That's the cutting edge, the cold face. And unfortunately, we can't get away from it. It's always going to be a a bottom-down system. We are going to be in the hands of the bureaucracy. And and I'll say again, they don't know what they don't know. So my pet peeve is I've never found the argument to try and get the national governing body to make the right decisions on behalf of the people they're supposed to represent. I've never seen, there's never been, a, a change in that in the 55 years I've been doing it. So I've got to, sooner or later, I've got to start thinking, this ain't going to change. <laughs> why am I fighting it all the time? And, and that's why I go back to a thing I said earlier. When you've got that network, and I've got that network of names that I can turn to, we can fight with each other as well, just the same. But you, you don't have to worry about the bureaucracy. You, you, you can still win all this stuff and make great progress by working in your, at your own level. So I'm always going to fall out with the bureaucracy. I've had my nose bloodied along the way many, many times. I've lost many, many jobs through it. But I've, I've got a group of people that, who are friends and colleagues and relationships with them that have nothing to do with the bureaucracy, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And what about days off? What are, what are your favourite things to do when you have a day off? All I've got now is days off when you get to my age. It's only days up until the phone rings. The phone used to ring rang less last year in 2021, a little bit more than 2020. 
So just get ready that your your professional life in wherever sport will slowly diminish. And so I'm just my days off. I don't really have any because I'm, I haven't got a working environment that, that, that I'm in that, that's consistent. My whole day is about communicating with other people, trying to create some ideas in my head to try and help coaches and athletes out there. And, and I can be as busy as buggery on that because there's, there's that many people I'm learning from every day and communicating with. So there isn't really a day off. I do like going fishing, but I haven't been fishing for five years. So I keep threatening to go fishing. I won't. And what- I'd rather go. I'd rather turn up and watch. Go and watch JP come up with some more great ideas, great ideas on on distracted running or or on variability in running mechanics for the football player. Sit there. I can sit on the side and watch JP do that, or I could watch go and watch Lachlan start terrorising the storm, or watch Suki with the Milwaukee Bucks, or any of the. That's a day off for me. Go and watch the crew have a go. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's yeah, your passion for the industry has come through from the very first 10 seconds right to the end, mate. I, I love it. Um, we'll start to wrap, no, just, wrap just up. On that, just on that point, let me just, yeah. just steal one thing about that. Yeah. Th- this is not an industry. This is a calling. Coaching and teaching is a calling. It's not a bloody industry. Hmm. And they, in terms of the rest of the year, the, what's well, on the horizon for you? What are you excited about at the moment? Just just working out this, this operational review with this professional netball team. We've just been through it. There's a bit of building to go on, and I want to try and be as helpful as possible, but eventually that will be handled because they've got some brilliant practitioners in there that that will fly. But that's just going to be tidied up through the next few couple of months and see them on their way. There's, I'll always stay in touch with, with some of the football clubs and, you know, you finish up going and, and having a bit of a debrief with the coach and as a neutral. It's one of the good things about being a neutral. I always try and say to all the – when they do their end-of-season debrief, you've got the same people that cause the success and the problem doing the, the same reflection. Sometimes it's a good idea to, to get somebody from the outside as a neutral to come in, and that happens quite frequently where I'll just pop in and, and, and sit down and brainstorm with people on how the season went, what did they learn from it, and, and, and a neutral asking that question very often stimulates them to even better thinking, basically. So that's all. Not yeah. a lot going on. Yeah, so that will be something you do. Do you do mid-year reviews, the start of season, like goals as well as end of year, or is it always oh, look, the end look, of year? There is, there is no doubt, but the end, of, the, the end of year review is the first step of the next year, so really they, yeah. they do get combined, and it, it's then good to pop in every now and again and then to go and see how it's going and to mm. see, see, see what you're going and you, you offer people some counsel and some ideas. The, the brilliant thing is watching their interpretation of your words Mm-hmm. And you go in and say, okay, so how did you handle, let's say, you, what's a topic I can use there? Let's handle the injury situation. You, you, you went through last year with a few of these injuries that seem to be fairly common. How did you handle that? Oh, we went back and tried this, this, and this. We did this kind of screening a little bit more. We checked out, and they go, whoa, I didn't think of that. So it isn't just a matter of going in and then giving them any thoughts. Yeah. The great thing is going back six weeks later, it's always going to be, I said to this crew the other day, don't tell me what you're going to do. I, I don't want to hear any feedback. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Let me come back in eight weeks' time and you show me what you do. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's always going to be about your action. Unfortunately, we've got that many. We always talk about, like I've been speaking now with you, we talk about the stuff. The thing is, like if I go back to in the consultancy in these couple of ones I've been doing for the last few years, then I'll go and I'll, I'll go and watch what their interpretation one of, of the, the debrief they had. The interpretation, the action far outweighs the word. And is it in terms of measuring success, is that objective? Is it a little bit subjective? How do you sort of give them feedback on how it's tracking those interventions? Well, well look, you, one of the things you can't shy away from is the scoreboard. I mean, when, when we get to that level, it's the, yeah. it's the scoreboard. When you're the, in the individual athlete situation, it's, it's really about the personal best. And, and, and that, that, is, that is still a scoreboard. It's the distance thrown. It's the speed run or, the, 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 or, or it's the, 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 the height that you've jumped, whatever it's going to be. So, so that's the continuum against which you measure. There's also one of the measures that must go, and is the consistency of doing that. You'll know it's been successful when, You've raised the average of your, your performance as well as the pinnacle of it. And when it comes to the team situation, you, you, 
the scoreboard is the start. It, it, it has to start there. And, and it's all about scoring more than the opposition. That's what the scoreboard is. It's, there's points that you score. So you can look at the points you've scored and the points against and was that in a winning situation. So there's different ways of assessing the teamwork. Mm-hmm. There's also the context of that some things can take more than one season, and I never want to give that as an excuse to say, well, we'll be all right next year. If you've made progress in certain areas, the way you've assembled your team, the way you've assembled and seen differences in technical, tactical, physical, and behavioral, and you've managed to measure that empirically as well as measure it through data. And, of course, we've got all the science in the world now. In fact, we've got too many numbers out there. We've, we don't really know how to translate the numbers into action, but that's another, that's another day altogether. But the, the successes are measured in all sorts of different ways. But the bottom line for us in high performance, it's the scoreboard. We can't get away from it. Look at the scoreboard and learn from it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, for jumping on and, and sharing with us here your, your journey, it's mate. Talk. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for the opportunity. And for, for those that want to get in contact, Kelvin, where's the best place? Is it social media, email, Well, I'm, 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 I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on, I'm on Twitter for the best of my ability. I'm at kbgiles at gmail.com. And I've got that Movement Dynamics w- website where I've got uh, I've written lots of articles on there and I've got, some so- I've got some software on there to try and help people build a movement vocabulary, but I've, I'm no salesman on that. The whole world of the movement vocabulary, which is the building block to all success, is another thing to talk about another day. But so I've got some stuff online on that one. But generally speaking, if you want to drop me an email, I don't know when I can answer it or not, but just to communicate with people is always really enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. We'll add the, all the links in the show notes for those listening in. Okay. If you, but, and as well for the listeners, thank you for tuning into this live chat. If you tuned in halfway or three quarters through, make sure to watch from the very start. There was no mucking around with this episode. We dive straight into the good stuff. So <laughs> listen in. It's on our YouTube channel. And then next Tuesday, we'll post it on our podcast. So for those that like to listen on the podcast recordings, we also have our next Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. It's a collab one with social influencers. That's next Friday, the 9th of September at 3 p.m. So I'll see you guys then. Thanks again, Kelvin. Really appreciate it, mate. Pleasure, mate. Look after yourself. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us. Awesome. So he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So. I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know 
or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to, be, to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever, as an S&C coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then. And, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things. And, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear, fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.